A warm welcome back to the Hound Hall podcast in the pursuit of excellence. This week's guest is a true gentleman, a man of the field, Mr. Viraj Singh, founder of the Jodhpur Company. He's a fine tailor mixing Indian heritage with British tradition. I've got to say, the feedback we've had on these episodes has been absolutely fabulous, really heartwarming, and thank you to all. If you like what you hear and other episodes too, then press that subscribe button. And otherwise, if all else is done, sit back, relax, and enjoy. I love it because I've got a team of five uh, gents who come from a shooting background, but haven't shot themselves. So taking them through literally entry level on how to hold the gun to how to shoot a target. And we've been shooting for about a year now. They're getting on okay. Um, two of them have their licenses, um, which is great. Um, forwarded your video, and they loved it because it was concise. It was to the point. Brilliant. And you didn't have to faff around for half an hour no. to get the answers. It was sort of, that's what I need to do. Um, pick up the gun. I know what to do. And I'm, that's it. That's what I do when I pick up the gun. And um, that's what we look for. And it was concise, it was really well presented, or is well presented, and it's really, really clear to the point. And they loved it. So you know, that's brilliant feedback, and that is yeah. the aim. And yeah. uh, the interesting thing is that um, with a lot of, I've found, with a lot of novices, the sort of larger hurdle, apart yeah. from actually learning to shoot, is confidence yeah, yeah. and fear. Mm. And really, it's a lack of confidence due to the fear of what other people think. Right. You know, so yeah. they're a bit green, they come into a school, lots yeah. of people like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's being able to simplify, break that down, yeah. so you can then, you know, hopefully yeah. ignore what's around you and focus on. Yeah. And that becomes a very fluid, nice thing. So you're trying to, it's that very difficult balance always of trying to give concise clear relevant information mm, mm -hmm. but not rambling on and on so it's almost becomes a cure for insomnia i found it excellent i mean when i first started shooting um was youtube around yeah it probably was around but going into sh shooting even more there was hardly anything sort of british based it was all american stuff yes um there was a chap oh, i can't remember his name um, Wouldn't an older chap with glasses, not yeah, by the name yeah, of Gil yeah. Ash. Yeah, yeah, him. Do you know yeah. what? I, I used to watch his stuff yeah. just for fun. There was something, yeah. I mean, he's, um, you know, he's, he's atypical, yeah. you know, of, of his American. type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. proper American. Yeah. Um, but there was something really, I found really sort of heartwarming about yeah. him. There was something, yeah. I don't know, there was yeah. just something I, I just enjoyed. It yeah. was almost quite funny because yeah. he'd, he'd do these sort of really quite dramatic yeah. looks and then... Yeah. Pause yeah, yeah, yeah. for three seconds and then do, <laughs> and, and you thought, oh no, what's going yeah, next? And, and it was just something, yeah, you know, yeah, funny yeah, enough, we were talking yeah. about this the other day as yeah, well, literally. Yeah. And I used to but watch he's been his, around forever. Yeah. I remember watching his stuff and it was literally quite long to get to the point. Yes. So I quite like the way you have sort of, your, you don't mess around. Well, the, yeah. To it. Well, that's. And you can get the answers that, you know. You want and concentration span of people nowadays is limited, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> you know? And if it's new as well, yeah. it seems like a big mountain to climb, doesn't it? Everything's easy when you know. And I must admit, I mean, I used to watch him stupidly just because of him. Yeah. Obviously, being a coach, I was without sounding big-headed. I was sort of, you know, 
pretty much au fait with everything he said. Yeah. But I did take heed from it that they, they, they have these sort of diagrams and watch the red dot, and mm. the light, you know. And, and I could see that actually for some, maybe, you, you might think, well, me. hold on a minute, you yeah. know, where's yeah. the gun? Where's the... Yeah, that, that confused me. When yes. So I think nice and crisp. I mean, that's the way we work. It's nice and clean. It's crisp. It's not rushed, yep. but it's about, you know, just yeah, yeah, hitting yeah. on the relevant points and then detailing yeah. as is yeah. required. Very similar to my field, if you think about it. I mean, you have different clients. Some clients want to hear about the heritage and the history of the job buttons, and you can take mm. them through it for a few hours. And, and then you've got clients who almost know what they want, and they just want to get, get it done and, yes. and out. So yeah. <laughs> I understand. So yeah. it's like catering to... To both, how do you... Yeah, lots of you similarities. Know, yeah. So you almost got to figure the person out and then warm to... Exactly. Yeah. It's client-based. No two people are the same. So, Viraj Singh. Yes. The Jobber Company. At last. You're here. Yeah, at last. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Welcome to the Hound Hall podcast. And I'm really thrilled. I'm totally thrilled. Really, really excited because uh, I'm a bit of a Luddite. I, I'm not massively into technology, but... Uh, obviously we followed you some five six years ago and now we're sat here and we have shared passions and you know lots of other interests and uh, I think isn't that the lovely side of social media absolutely um first of all thank you for having me here it's an awesome setup you have I must say our, our um, pleasure it's cozy it's homely and uh, yeah feel like I've been here before but I haven't um, but going back to the Instagram the power of a hashtag um phenomenal you meet incredible people, like-minded people, and it, that, that's what I find quite amazing. And um, we started following one another as soon as we had put our Instagrams out together. So, yes. so you had started the Hound Hall and I started Job for Company at the same time. Exactly. So we've seen each other grow, which is lovely as well. Yeah, and you've grown a bit quicker than we have, I think. A very impressive nearly 12,000 followers, I noticed. Uh, yes, <laughs> but I think a lot of people, they get too um, overwhelmed with followers and likes and that sort of thing. So yeah. You've got to stay true to what you do yeah. and ultimately you've got to be happy. Um, you know, we're in a day, day and age now, you think about mental health and this sort of stuff. Yes. And people are trying to get verified, the blue tick and likes and followers and your life becomes too social media dedicated. Yes. Which is important, but you've also got to have, have, have the balance. Well, there's the fear of... Uh Edited highlights, as Benita likes to say, you know, and it portrays a, a false representation. And sadly, a lot of people are governed by that. And so I think, or, or led by that, or influenced by that. So I think that's the sort of maybe the slightly, not so much dangerous, but the, the slightly negative side of things. Yeah, of course. You know, we, we, we um, yes, it's nice to have followers. I would say, actually, Instagram has created the sort of meetings with, you know, lovely people like yourself today. Has it necessarily put money in the till day on day? No. Um, but it serves a purpose in, in different areas. So so for us, you know, it, it isn't a climb for followers as such. It, I'd, I'd rather have less yeah, yeah. realistic followers than a ream of, you know, and I, and I see some of these feeds with, with hundreds of thousands. You think, really? You know? Where is that real value? What what I do find strange, actually, just to, not to hang on Insta too long, is when you see someone with 100,000 followers, yet when they put their posts up, they're averaging 3,000 likes. And you think, how does that compute? Yeah. You know? There's all these followers, but yet there's minimal sort of comeback on... 
So I don't know. But that's maybe... a whole, I, I'm a dinosaur, so I'm not very techie myself. But I know there's a whole world. If you're a of... dinosaur, I'm a caveman, right? <laughs> <laughs> but there's a whole thing of buying likes and, and, you know, people who work purely for, not well, not for Instagram, but they work in the whole social media side of it. And their job is to get those likes and get you those followers. And a lot of people pay for it as well. So yeah. it's a whole different ball game. But going back to our meeting on Instagram, yes, I must have used the right hashtags. Because when you were on Instagram or when you started using Instagram, did you search for hashtags and just uh, see what came what? up? I can't remember how it, how it well, in a, really, you must have popped up. Uh, how does this work? Hold on a minute, because you'd be on our feed if we followed you. But how would we See, have found you? My hashtags haven't changed in all these years. Right. So it would be vintage, shooting, hunting, British. Yeah. Um, shotgun. Yeah. These are good hashtags to use. Yeah. And that's how we probably found each other. Yes. Which is, you know, similar. I suppose it's probably under the shotgun hashtag yeah. then, really. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. we look to sort of, you know, link with like-minded to then spread. I, I guess yeah. I can't really remember what the... And I don't even think there was a plan. Uh, I, I can say hand on heart, um, for whatever reason you popped up, I saw the clothing uh, and I thought, that's, that's stunning. Did it intrigue you, the clothing? Well, it, 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 it did, actually, because uh, I, was, I thought it was an in, a very interesting mix. Um, this is my blunt terminology, the, the Indian-English crossover, Absolutely. okay? Um, I also, uh, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm a million miles away from being any form of style icon with clothing, but th th there's quite a lot of the same thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and to be blunt, what I noticed straight away, apart from some of the beautiful women on the on the feed, <laughs> was the Nehru collars, so the tunics, but rather than the, as I see it, the the atypical sort of Indian style tunic, which is in itself a beautiful thing, but a tunic, yours was sort of a, a in in the form of a shooting, what I call a shooting vest. So rather than just being a neat. Almost like you know our equivalent of, a, of an armless cardigan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was more robust. It was tailored. You know, had shape, had the pockets. So it's like a field garment. Yeah, but with this very classy. And yeah. I think I mean the Nehru collar just yeah. is it, really cool. I just it's like a Nehru nice. collar. The reason why I asked you that it was so it confused people. Um, is it Indian? Is it a British brand? Yeah. What is it? We're confused. Does well, it belong you... in this period or? Is it something that's 100 years old or 150 years old? And that, that's what I wanted to do at yeah. the very beginning, well, is to confuse people. Where, yeah. you know, what is it? Um, is it a crossover? Um, well, you were ahead of your time because I've only, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, I work in the school, I teach people how to shoot. I've just started to notice uh, sort of, you know, semi and well-known uh, tweed manufacturers, clothing manufacturers that you know are within our industry, that have now gone over yeah. to including that Nehru detail. Yeah, of course, you of know? course. Um, um, I'll go on to the functionality a little bit later, but I think it would be quite handy for me to tell you how we came to being. Well, I yeah, it was in, it was interesting because I I know you when we spoke um, last week, you, you you mentioned about the, the the family sort of stemming from Jodhpur. And um, I was interested in, in the, uh, was it the uh, the sort of in, the modern terminology, a live wire called Joda, that actually um, 
through sort of uh, obviously having a, a few battles and fights, sort of took territory yes. and created then what has become Jodhpur. Yes. And that in doing that um, was then, I think, or maybe it was purposeful or by default, created then what, what I sort of know as a silk road, a road that then allowed fine metals, woods, silks or materials and so on to then be sort of, you know, moved around. And therefore then Jodhpur became uh, well known as a, as a, as a market yes. um, city. Yep. Um, and I found equally interesting, and we can talk break these down and talk about them later, that now it is uh, a hub, a centre for educational institutions. Yes, and there are very, crafts. I mean, there's a real ream of diverse, but, but absolute sort of pinpointed, you know, institutions that teach yeah, yeah. about some pretty amazing yeah. things. So what a history. And, it's, and, and one thing I don't know, it's called the Blue City. Yes. Why? So if you go to Jodhpur, if you look at all the buildings, they're all painted blue. Uh, Rumour has it, it's, it's to keep the mosquitoes away. And there's various other, right. other stories behind it. Right. Where Jaipur, uh, the pink city... And that was done when um, uh, the prince at that time, um, it could be, it could, it could be um, the Duke of Windsor who had a visit to Jaipur and in honour of him, they painted all the bu buildings pink. So Jaipur is known as the blue city and Jaipur known as the, as the oh, pink. So that's Rajasthan, so the land of the Rajas. So yes. My father was born there. My grandfather shifted there. So we originally come from um, a place which is south of Jodhpur. So my grandfather shifted there in the early 1900s, which is quite exciting um, in the sense that if I had said to you, the reason why we went to Jodhpur and my family set up base there, it was to do with wild boar hunting. It wasn't, it wasn't because they used to hunt wild boars, but what had happened was my grandfather, my grandfather's sister got married into a tiny principality in the region Jodhpur, Marwar. And um, he got killed going pig sticking. So this sister of my grandfather had all this land and didn't know what to do with it. So she had to fight court cases and that sort of thing. So my grandfather shifted up there and um, yeah, just stayed there in Jodhpur. Imagine what to do with but um, I, I mean, I love pig the, sticking. I love the glamour because Singh is uh, the lion. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Or yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. eminent person. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it sounds very grand. So what, what I'll do is I'll just touch on, uh, on the history slightly. Yes. Um, because it will give you a better picture or a painting. So I happen to belong to... Um, uh, just, I'm a Hindu, um, firstly and foremost. And within Hinduism, you get various castes. Yes. So I happen to belong to the Rajput caste. And the Rajputs were landowners, warriors, a military race. And they're jotted all over India. Um, finally concentrated within the Rajasthan and Gujarat region. Um, but they, they, they are dotted everywhere all around India. And for any, just to cut in briefly, and actually just to back up my thoughts as well, just for anybody listening who's thinking caste, could I suggest that that was loosely an equivalent to in the UK, working class, middle class, upper class? Is that the different cast? Is that would that be a good comparison, or not? Uh, cast. It, 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 it can be, but it's what you did for a living, how you made your money. Right. So if you were a cobbler or shoemaker, you belong to a mochi class. 
caste, sorry. And um, if you were a Brahmin, you would belong to a priestly caste. So you would be in the temples uh, uh, performing various rituals for other people. Um, so it's almost like how I describe it as um, the, the Lion King when Mufasa takes Simba out into the jungle and he says, son, this is a grasshopper. They, uh, they have a role and this is what they do with the grass and it's like a circle of life. So that's how I describe the Hindu caste system. Yes. Without one person, the other person can't work. So, but, but, so are you all equal or are you on different levels of importance, let's say, for a want of a better term? I, I don't want to sound pompous no. or rude, no. um, but you could, there is a hierarchy structure. I think it exists everywhere. It just yeah. comes in different yeah. names and guises, yeah. right? Even within the Rajput clans yes. and the princely states, you would have a gun salute state, which the British gave the, the princely state with a 21 gun salute state. And they'll be, you know, a bit more grander than the ones that were of a lesser gun salute, yes. which the British obviously gave to the princely yes. states. So yes. there is that element of, of, of that, what you're talking about. Um, but I just feel that in terms of... Um, one community flourishing, you needed another community to back you up. So you're, you're working in tandem. So, as I said, so I belong to the to Rajput Rajput caste, and Rajput literally meaning son of a king. So Raj Raja meaning king. Yes. There were landowners. There were warriors. You know, from time immemorial, I can trace my own lineage back. A thousand, our family tree goes back a thousand years. Incredible. And we can go beyond that to Lord Krishna. Wow. Um, but I won't, I, won't, <laughs> I won't talk about that too much because it's very, very complex. So you've got these military clans that are jotted over India and the British rightfully called them the, the martial clans, the martial races. Yes. So within these martial races, you would have the Gurkhas, which are quite famous. The um, Gurkhas are incredible. Yeah. Um, Utterly incredible. I remember going for my TA um, induction in Purbright with the army, the rifles, and they're all, they're all Gurkhas. The staff were all Gurkhas yeah. and um, formidable warriors. Oh, they, they've made, a, for, for a small setup, they've made an enormous difference, yeah. I think, on many occasions. And then you have your Sikhs. Yeah. Who also have um, Singh as a middle name. Um, they adopted it later, much later than Rajputs, but we share the same martial heritage even the names are very very similar and um, various ceremonies that we we do where we worship the sword um, very very similar so belonging to this martial race or this clan weapons were were almost godly like yes i'm so so sorry don't worry uh, i think that's it's a modern day <laughs> don't worry it's my fault for not uh, for not saying oh exactly. i've put my phone on airplane mode um <laughs> But you don't have to if you don't want to. It makes it real. <laughs> so, <laughs> Please carry on. So weapons yeah. for a soldier, you know, that was your tool. That was your bread and butter. Mm. And um, being a Rajput, you know, weapons are sacred. Yes. And then we go into weaponry to how to use them. What were they used for? And this brings me on to hunting shooting firearms you know yes. now we look at it as a we need to cull a herd to look after the species but before for a Rajput man or a Sikh man or a Gurkha to keep his martial um, uh, valor skill intact he would have to go and hunt to know his sword is performing well or his bow and arrow is performing well or his marksmanship skills are fantastic before going into battle 
Yeah. And so, as I said, we shifted from region in Gujarat to to um, Jodhpur, um, pronounced Jodhpur, in yes. case any Indians uh, watch yes. this podcast and think, <laughs> you know, he, he, he's, yes. he's gone all English on us. Um, but so we shifted to Jodhpur and the amount of princely states that are within Gujarat and Rajasthan are amazing. So you're, you're talking hundreds of states. You know, offshoots of a different clan setting up a um, uh, uh, place and they would all go into battle with one another. You could really? be a distant uncle of someone else's and you would go into war with, you know, the neighboring clan. So hunting was a huge way of keeping that martial um, skill intact. Yes. You know, and, yes. and um, for the Rajputs, they. They, they didn't like firearms. They came to firearms a lot, lot later. For them, it was all about sword, buckler, lance. Yes. So that's why when we hunted, um, sort of the way we went about it was on horseback uh, with, with lance and spear and sword. Yes. And that brings us on to sort of the, the, the spiritual link between hunting. Well, I was, was going to say, actually, because am I right in saying that obviously I, I, I have a... a a, a basic understanding that the, the the Hindu religion is this sort of circle of of, of life, this sort of cycle of things happening, dying, growing, so, being, and and actually, the, am I right in saying that as a Hindu specifically, there may be other religions that share this, but you would you would only eat the meat that you've killed. You kill meat to eat. You don't go out and you know it wasn't about killing things unnecessarily. It's all part of this cycle that you. A bit of both. Now, if you have a look at the, the Hindu structure, um, if you speak to any Hindus in the UK, by large, they're vegetarians. They believe in non-violence, you shouldn't kill, um, and to have a diet which is meat-free. But you look at the, the Rajputs and the martial clans, it's completely different. So within the caste systems, you've almost got different ideologies and different things that they would believe in. So for us, we would have our own deity that was specific to the Rajput clans, which say um, someone with the surname, I don't know, a Patel, wouldn't worship. They, wouldn't, they, they would look at our uh, rituals as alien. They wouldn't understand yes. it. So our caste and, uh, and, and, and the Rajputs and, and, and the warrior clans of India they were by large meat eaters. Right. They ate meat. Yeah. Um, there's a thing of uh, not eating beef. Yes. We'll get onto that afterwards. But yes. the, my my family, we've been eating meat for hundreds of years. It's part of our diet, mm. and our our diet consisted of grouse, black buck, nilgai, uh, various deers and antelope. It is part of our makeup. It is who we are. And this is, am I right in saying this is where you learned to shoot, wasn't it? That when you, so uh, your, was it mother and father that moved to the UK? Yes. And then your UK, uh, obviously born in the UK, but that you used to, which I thought was a lovely story, you travel back, was it with your grandfather or to see your grandfather and to learn to shoot back in India using rifles? Yeah, of course. Incredible. So, so being a part of the Rajput clans and sort of hunting, knowing your ancestors' tools being very, very important to us. There's a specific day in our calendar where the Rajputs will take out their weapons and clean it. And that's a religious day for us. It's like, um, 
it's like Easter or yes. anything else that you would celebrate here. Yes. And we have that in our calendar. It's called the Sarah. So we'll take out all of our weapons, we'll clean it, we'll do a whole ritual, and it's based purely behind our weapons. So doing this from a young age, I was always infatuated with, you know, not so much the weapon itself, but the craft and manufacturing and what it did and could it slice through paper and, yes. and, and, and was it functional? Yes. So I was always infatuated with that. But coming from the background that I come from, my dad was very keen for me and my brother to not forget our roots. And um, he sent us to India to um, ride horses and, and shoot. And I think when he came here, being in London, you're not exposed to shooting and, and, and the equestrian life too oh, much. Only in a post office. That's it, <laughs> yeah, <it>? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have the horses to get away on. Yeah. So, <laughs> Horsepower. <laughs> exactly. So he was quite busy, you know, um, making money, um, trying to set a foundation up for the family, grinding. And um, he didn't want me and my brother to forget our roots. So he would send us off to India. I mean, my first exposure to hunting was at the age of four. And that's the first time I went from wow. UK, being sort of, you know, English, um, UK born and, and, and bred to a certain extent. He sent us to India. He came along. I was four years old. My brother went born at that point. And I remember meeting my uncles, you know, speaking to them on the phone all the time. Yes. And my God, if you brought them over here, you would get on like a house of fire. Amazing folks. Yeah. Um, some of them belong to the to the army. So obviously, being from a Rajput background, most of the men took up jobs in um, the armed forces, um, police. Um, so they come from that army background. So you can imagine very strict rules. You get up at five o'clock, even if you've got nothing to do. You're you're showered, you're changed, and you're sitting there and you're having breakfast breakfast at a certain time. And and is this relate? This is related to being Hindu. This is well. this about is, the bathing in the morning and washing off and yes, meditating yes. And, and so on. But I'm talking about my clan in particular. Yes, because. It's changed now, or it is changing. There's a lot of discipline, isn't there? A lot of discipline. So belonging to that 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 clan that I belong to, um, the martial clan, it was very regimental, very stringent. So I remember going into uh, the compound, and the compound itself um, belonged to one of the maharajas of that region. I won't name the region because we're going to talk about hunting, okay. obviously. So I won't name the region. But anyway, it was given to uh, my uncle's uh, father. And it was a shooting lodge for when the British were there. And they were trading in cattle. And um, so my great uncle um, was sort of ADC or right-hand man to the then Maharaja. So my great uncle had four, four sons. And those four sons became my heroes just looking at them in the field and knowing their craft and what they did and the way they dressed but their dressing was completely different it was more westernized so the big chunky Budweiser Winchester buckles with a check shirt and cowboy boots they were literally cowboys and wow. um, the elder brother he's regarded as one of the best um, bull breeders in India right now so the wealth of knowledge I was blown away with so I had seen um, taxidermy, that, you know, Van Ingen stuff that was sort of caged, uh, beautifully done. And I was blown away by, by it. And I remember going on my first shoot, four years old, and the, and, and the magic and the social element. And mm. we went at night and we shot 
bunnies. So we were literally lamping from a from a gypsy um, uh, one liter um, jeep, yes, an open truck, yes. And I remember the social element behind it was amazing. We had, you know, we had some cousins from England come over. We had ladies attend. We had um, our own court singers that were singing Incredible. old bards. We had the whiskeys wow. flowing. So being in that party. moment, yeah, it was a party. And, I, you know, I was almost <clears throat> spellbound. And I looked up to these uncles as absolute heroes. And I yes. wanted to emulate them. Um, see, being exposed to that, I had family members you know, at that same time that we're exposed to it. But it takes a certain person to, to, to take to it, to warm to it. Yes. You know, and living in that compound or that, that where, where the brothers live, you know, there was always something wrong with a, with a bull. And we had to, you know, pick the bull up and give it a shot of something. So, you know, just to bring it back to life. I've got another uncle who literally lives two doors away. He's massively into falconry. Uh, uh, prey birds and he used to repair birds and he still does repay, r repair birds so it, I, I was amazed because a London boy I wasn't mm. exposed to this so well, I, I was I, in another world well, I find it interesting the thought of and I, I don't want to go off on a, on a political thing or race thing or anything like that but you know as I learn more and I listen you know you, you are so incredibly disciplined within your religion within your clan within your religion larger scale passionate committed um i mean the british coming in you know back in the day that surely must have been met with uh, sort of a horror really because it strikes me that you're so very proud as a you know as a religion as as a race and you say about those influences coming in but i would imagine that was you know sort of generally speaking yeah I'm going to use the word irritating. That's the wrong no, word. But no, I just, I, you know, now I'm beginning to understand. And I think, wow, yeah. in you fact, wouldn't need anybody. You don't need anybody yeah. else. No, in fact. It sounds like a beautiful, balanced, you know. And when we talked on the phone, I, I used the word, in ignorance, colonial. Exactly. And I used the word colonial. And I'll tell you why I used the word. One, because I'm slightly ignorant without, uh, you know, uh, um, that wasn't uh, a, sort of a conscious thought. It just flew out. And I relate that word to architecture, mm. you know. Uh, so it's very generalised. It has no link to to skin colour, race. It's, a, you know, we, we've got a, the buildings of the vernacular, uh, period, colonial, so, you know, for me personally. Yeah. But of course, I thought about it after we spoke. And uh, I can see that that can have a very, very different feel. Yeah, I think in this day and age, we're exposed to more. We can learn our fingertips. We can go on a computer and, and, and type in something into Google and get the information up straight away. Or we can go to libraries and read about it extensively. But a lot of people are still very ignorant. <laughs> uh, no, no, <laughs> Amazing, really. No, absolutely. But it's got more of a negative than um, uh, a positive audience right now. I mean, you've got various Oxford lectures, which are, you know, um, they, they talk about, you know, Britain owing an apology to India because of colonialism, you know? Yes. And, and, and that's at your fingertips. You can go on YouTube. So, you know, the youngsters, they might take the negative light and not look at the positives, some of the positives that have come out of that the whole yes. colonial industry. Yes. So... Obviously, there's certain things that really bug me and I feel, you know, why, why did that happen? It shouldn't have happened and it's bad. But if you look at my garments, they are of that period. They are sort of colonially 
inspired or tailored garments. And one thing that we need to look at is, yes, there are a lot of negatives that were involved with colonialism, but there were a few positives as well. Mm. And, you know, we talk about in pursuit of excellence. Yes. And we look at craft. Yes. And craft of that period, certain craft, was in its zenith. Yes. Like you can't replicate it and it hasn't been documented enough for people to know about that craft. So we're talking about, you know, we're talking about architecture. We're talking about language. We're talking about culinary delights, food. food. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, you know, so when I did set the Jodhpur company up, the main celebration, as it were, was to celebrate that cross pollination of culture. Yes. And celebrate that. Celebrate some of the positives. And for me, it was the tailoring and incorporating that military cavalry background and some of the hunting that goes with it. Brilliant. So that leads me on beautifully. So I wanted to ask, and we can carry on exactly in that strain, but just to paint the picture, just a little bit of history behind that, the tailoring yes. runs in your family. So and runs back to I assume the days of silk and Jodhpur and and those course. beautiful you know traditional garments. Have I got this wrong, or is someone in your family the creator or was the creator of the Jodhpur garment? Not not someone from my family, right? Um, but he was a Rajput man. Um, see, if you have heroes within the Rajput community, you look up to them. You know, and uh, we have many heroes. So Sir P, Sir Pratap Singh, uh, British general, he was the Maharaja regent of, of, of uh, Jodhpur. Um, he is one of my heroes. We're not directly um, related to him, but him being a Rajput and me being a Rajput, we have that connection straight away. Of course. So he was the gentleman who bought the, the Jodhpurs uh, over here into into UK. And I, and I will go, go, go into that um, a bit more. Um, but that whole cross-pollination of, of, of the tailoring and it being at its zenith then, there's certain things that have been lost. So my whole aim, uh, passion um, and goal was to strive to revive certain arts and crafts. So it's, so, int it's interesting, isn't it? And so, you know, and with a lot of wonderful things that occur, it's almost, and I believe the world is made up of pluses and minuses. And it's almost you can do something good to create something wonderful, or it might not come to anything. Yeah. But also something hideous or negative can happen, but from that can flourish wondrous positive things. Yeah, of course, of course. And so I see you here now, and I look at this, what I call crossover, yeah. you know, which drew us straight to your, you know, Instagram page those six odd years ago. Yeah with this amazing sort of new wave of traditional, I'm just going to be uh, just totally general, traditional Indian styling with, with British field um, yeah, tailoring, but put in a melting pot, creating this amazing thing of which we, I know we yeah. talked about earlier, we are now seeing replicated six years later. See, the thing is, I had the youth in mind when I was creating the Jodhpur company. I wanted to create something for the youngsters, um, British Asians, so they could understand that this is the way our ancestors used to dress. This is what they used to wear, you know, on a daily basis. Or if they were in a field or, you know, they took part in country pursuits, as many of their forefathers did, I didn't want 
these stories to be jotted down in a history book somewhere where no one would pick up and it would be collecting dust on a, on a bookshelf. I wanted to bring it out visually because if you look at the youth of today, they're on Instagram, they're on various YouTube, um, you know, pod, podcasts and, and vlogs and that sort of stuff. They want to see things in bite-sized chunks and they also want to see things visually. So I said to myself, how can I tell that story visually? How can they understand it straight away? And that's why when I when I when I asked you, how did you find us? Did you did you find our garments a bit? Ah, hang on a second. What's this? Did it confuse you? Because that's what exact that's exactly what I wanted. I no, wanted I mean, and, and, and I would absolutely tell you honestly. Um, I, I'm I'm quite basic, sadly, and I just looked at them and I thought they're really cool. They're really cool, and and actually I thought you know all, as I said to you, again I keep saying things I said earlier, um, but the cut the shooting vest uh, traditionally here uh, V neck, um, so you can see the collar and tie, and and sadly some brands they tend to make that top button uh, much higher. And for people my size, it makes you look like a box. You mm. know, they look ridiculous. Mm. So I did yep. get a beautiful uh, one made specifically for a shooting school when I worked there. And uh, it was designed by a sort of a well-known company. And theirs was a lower cut. That's one of my favourite vests. Yep. I've worn it to death. Yep. But then, like I say, your styling, the, the surface-mounted pockets, that's not a tailored term, that's my term. And all those little USPs that you incorporate... No, I thought it was fabulous. And actually, I thought it was really interesting. And I bet a lot of people don't realise Jodhpur's, I call them Jodhpur, and no, it's Jodhpur, Jodhpur, that, 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 you know, equestrians wear, equestrian people wear, yep. you know, that sort of close-fitting, tight, like a legging, but yep. with reinforcement. Actually, probably don't realise that the original style yeah. had this very exaggerated top half. The elephant so, ear. Uh, sorry? Yeah. The elephant ear. Elephant ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. 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 And now I can see now that when certainly you're on horseback, yeah. you know, the, the, you're going to wear riding boots. They're going to come up pretty much to under the knee. Yeah. And then from there above, you've got this total freedom of movement. Of course. Superb. Yeah, no. But, but, but I saw on your feed as well, and this is re looking recently, um, uh, there were a particular pair that you made in what I'm going to call a sort of a, a khaki sort of green. And I looked at them and I thought that surely, you know, that's sort of almost catwalk-esque. It's sort of, they're really classy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see those people walking around the, you know, around the yeah. central London with yeah. them. I mean, they of look course. really lovely. Yeah, yeah. And it's about how can we modernise history with a touch of heritage, but so the heritage lives on, but it spills onto a contemporary take. And yeah. that's, that's what it was. Yeah. And how... Obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a history nerd and I like heritage. And, you know, my dream is to obviously revive this. And I think we're doing a great job at it. Um, but the main reason uh, for the Jodhpur Company was due to, the, due to the tailoring that took place here 10 years ago. Uh, ready to wear stuff. Uh, it would fit a little bit odd, very, very boxy. Um, not fitted. Um, I used to, you know, I haven't hit the gym for a long time, but I used to, I used to bodybuild. So I used to pump iron all day, you know, at the gym. And I was yes. very sort of chest heavy. Um, shoulders were very, very large. And I always had problems fitting into whatever I wore. That, that's up. exactly the same problem I have, Viraj. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sort of, you know, top heavy, mini waist. Yeah, terrible. And when you're, when you're putting on a heavy fabric, that can be very, very awkward. And heavy fabric that's not tailored to you, 
can hang. And I use the terminology, uh, a walking fridge. You almost can look like a walking fridge. <laughs> so 10 years ago, when I first started shooting Driven Game over here, um, over here, um, I wanted to wear something that related to my heritage, something that my grandfather's wore, and many of the princely states that we have close connections with. So immediately, it was the Jodhpur Bottoms and the Nehru Collar. And um, I was a bit fed up with wearing breeks and, and a three-piece suit. Just didn't feel comfortable in it. Uh, felt and you boxy. made most of the other guns look bloody untidy, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but saying that, that is exactly how the, the, the brand was born. It was born in the field. Um, through this you know, ongoing obsession with functionality. And that comes from... It's in my blood. It comes from the swords, the weapons, and it being battle perfect. Taking that battle perfect element into the field. Now, you said, you know, Viraj, you come from a long blood of tailors. I don't. We come from a long uh, bloodline of military warriors, and that's what we were. But my grandfather had his own tailors. And without his tailors, my grandfather, you know, couldn't go about doing certain things. He couldn't mount a horse and ride. If he didn't have his jodhpurs, if the tailors weren't up to scratch, he couldn't do that. And my grandfather used to take um, Marwari stallions, which is the famous um, jodhpur uh, breed of horse, yeah. and used to take them back to Gujarat. So you're talking, you know, it's probably from, from Scotland to, to London wow. to ride in. So his, his jodhpurs had to be perfect. So we are using that generation family uh, of tailors now, but they're offshoots, obviously, of my, from my grandfather's time. So it's all about reviving their craft yes. and giving them the capital, the money to perform their craft, to, to revive it or to be true to it. Have, and without have, them... Have you found resistance with the style of your tailoring, what you produce? And actually, you being Hindu, let's be blunt. Have you found any resistance at all in the UK with the product, educating people, even going out into the field on shoots? No, not at all. I mean... And I'm really pleased you said that. Um, so let's sort of um, backtrack to my first shoot over here, which was um, in the Suffolk border. Um, Essex, and nor Suffolk should border. you have been, but I just, you know, you're here, we're talking, this is what it's about. Let's, yeah. you know, let's yeah. talk, let's, yeah. you know. So the aim was to create a pair of jobpers, Um from our family tailor and use it here. So I had this fantastic fabric. Um, it, it wasn't born just then. I was getting antique uh, jobpers and ripping them apart. You know, old Savile Row jobpers, we're talking 1920s, ripping them apart where no one would actually have the um, balls or bottle to do it. Yeah. Just to revive something that was lost. Well, so the original, the very original jobpers, yes. weren't they made with a sort of a, a, a sort of what we now think is modern, but back, I'm talking 100 years ago, yeah. with a stretchy yeah. thread? Um, so, so if you look at the trousers that you know we're wearing or the jeans that you're wearing, yes. the seam within the actual uh, trouser, uh, the... The, the fabric it was almost like a elasticated fabric so you could almost stretch and move around and when you're mounted in the saddle so going back to the the fabric that I had, had chosen I wanted something that was fit for the field conducive conducive to UK climate and I remember sitting down with the tailor and having a very soft um, tweedy fabric and I said look these are these are the bottoms this is the, these are the droppers we're, we're going to make and um he looked at me and he gave me a very uh, odd look and he said, 
basically, um, you're going to roast your nuts off. Why the hell do you want to make droppers in, in, in this horrible fabric? So then I said to him, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not going to, you know, uh, various events in India. I'm going back to the UK. Yeah, I'm going to shoot yeah. in them. <laughs> and soon as I mentioned shooting in Jodhpur's to him, you could see his chest puff out. And you spoke about his father, his father tailoring for the British um, teachers, officers that were in the um, princely colleges, almost like the Eton of uh, the West we see yes. over here. We yes. have Mayo College and Rajkumar College in Rajkot. And um, one of these, the, the tailoring family, will tailor for the English officers that were based within the institution. And he said to me, I'm going to make your droppers so perfect that when you mount the gun, you will have no movement. There'll be no need for you to look down. So your eyes will be on the prize all the time. And, and he said, when you wear them, he goes, make sure you send me a picture. I'm going to mount it up exactly where this wall is over here. And um, I would love to see you in them. Because he hasn't made, or they didn't make hunting jobpers for maybe a generation. So they almost died. Wow. So that, that we then revived that. Not only that, brought them back over here. Yes. Tacked up in my jobpers and my finery and my you know Nehru collared um, jacket. And I remember going, shooting, it was partridge season, so we weren't shooting pheasant at that point, it was just partridges. And I remember going onto my peg, and we spoke about this, I remember going onto my peg, and there was a left-right partridge that came from either side, and bang, bang, wasn't, it wasn't bang, bang, but it was probably bang, bang. I remember both of them dropping either side, and wow. it was like a picture-perfect moment. <laughs> and it was, it was probably a fluke, but there was a noise from my right, and this chap, you know, shouted, son, you know, and I thought, you know, he's, he's going to... That's the point where you just gently lick your finger, wipe your eyebrow, just give a wry look and then yeah. walk off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm done for the day. I'll, I'll pack up and go. Yeah. <laughs> but that's when he shouted out, son. And I thought he was going to compliment the shooting. And he just went, where did you get your jobpers from? You know? <laughs> Brilliant. And that is how the jobper company was born. Because he wanted a pair, so we did him a pair, and we had some nice sort of le le leather inserts on both sides, and um, that—that's how the dropper company was. was and that's was what born. bred the strap line by job per shoot better, was it? Yeah. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> but that's how the dropper company was born, and in terms of the bread and butter droppers themselves. Um, there was a chap called, as, as I mentioned, I wouldn't say chap, it was the Maharaja region of Jodhpur, later Maharaja of um, Idar. Um, he was ADC to Queen Victoria, uh, Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. Um, you know, uh, all the preparations were being made for, for her Diamond Jubilee and she invited various princes and Rajas from India to attend the Jubilee. And um, during that, that, that function, they would have various polo matches. So... You know, they were told to bring their finest polo ponies, yes. all their finery. And obviously in those days, they didn't go by air, they travelled by sea. So Serpi uh, Pratap Singh, he packed his finest polo ponies and um, his finery. And um, as he was sailing into the UK, um, um, two of his um, trunks um, sunk at sea. So he managed to recover some of his jewellery. And some of his other finery, um, but there were certain things that he didn't have. So anyway, he goes into UK now and he goes to ham polo, um, playing various polo matches. They win various tournaments. They become absolute 
poster boys. Um, they were probably the best polo team at that point. And, in, and interestingly, just as a, a little link, obviously you're here at Hound Hall, nestled in the our wonderful wooded enclave in the uh, in the, the the Sussex Downs, which of course is part of, uh, or we are, you know, w- within uh, the the Cowdrey Estate. Yes. And obviously the Cowdrey Estate is pretty much, I think, the home of. British polo, so what a nice link. Yes, a beautiful link. the man here who makes the, uh, Fantastic. the best choppers in the country. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, probably the only people to be making... Well, there's probably a handful now. There's not that many that are making no. choppers. So Sir P um, was invited um, to a banquet by Queen, Queen Victoria. So, obviously, his stuff had sunk, uh, uh, you know, at sea. He didn't have much of his stuff. He had some of his ceremonial attire but not much of it. Um, so he needed a pair of so- ceremonial bottoms made. And people of those martial clans would wear a different type of jobber, a bottom for ceremonial occasions. When you mean different, do you mean same cut, different material? Different material. Different so material. They'll wear so a same cotton, cut. Same cut, Yeah. but very, very different material. And it yeah. would almost be cream, off-white, not so much khaki. Maybe thinner, maybe, you know... A little bit thinner, Lighter yes. use, yeah. So he didn't have anything to wear, so he went to Savile Row... And he had a pair of his polo pants, which were scuffed up, a bit muddy. And he sort of had given it to the tailor. He said, can you make me a ceremonial pair of, pair, pair of these? And the tailor had never seen anything like that. And he was amazed. So he said, what is this? So with Sir P's limited English, he thought that he was asking Sir P, you know, what's your name? So, or where you come from, sorry. Where do you come from? And Sir P, not knowing, said, Jobper. So after that day... People involved in sort of equestrian pursuits here yeah. started calling those bottoms the jobber bottoms, and that's the history of the jobber. And what year was that? We're 20? talking. Um, I don't know the exact year, uh, but well, we're talking Queen Victoria's Diamond of, Jubilee. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. So we're talking sort of early nineteen nineteen hundreds. Yes. Yeah. And Sir P himself was um, a, a British um, general um, in the in the um, British Army at that point. He served. He had a small stint in France, I believe, but um, his main sort of campaign was in North North America, and and the Jodhpur lancers with um, some of the other princely states, uh, Mysore, Bhavnagar, and a few others. They were very famous uh, for leading one of the last successful cavalry charges and it was done by sword and lance where they took i think eight uh, turkish guns and um, imagine they were probably dressed in their joppers incredible so it that yeah. there is that functionality yeah. element out of it and do you think that um the sort of uh, creation production of modern materials has therefore affected uh, the the design as we now know that a jodper is 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 without devaluing it, like a pair of leggings, but with reinforcement and indeed has lost the elephant ears yeah, from course. the side. Yeah. So now we're, we're stepping into, you know, uh, different realms in terms of technology and what's available to us. Um, even now you'll have a pair of jeans which have, you know, a percentage of lycra which gives your jeans a little stretch. Now we have those materials and you look at people who ride horses over here, I don't know the percentage, but they're more female orientated you don't i think there was a tent pegging club over here in sussex i don't know if it's still uh, around but that's that that i think that's been 
um, abolished. It's no longer. And I think they were the only tent-pegging club. And they, I, 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 from what I remember, they were Sussex-based. So if you look at females and what they would wear, yes. they probably wouldn't want baggy jumpers because it probably don't make them look very elegant. Yes. You know? But yes. for the man, you don't want something tight around your crotch no. or your backside. No. So jumpers were well, fantastic. Some of us in need that, that extra room, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so jumpers were fantastic. They made you look very, very elegant. Yes. So in terms of um, the features of the jumper bomb, very, very tight around the, the calves, ankles. So you could put on a padded boot or a jumper boot, or you could wear them with longer riding boots. And obviously the elephant ear flary um, sections with um, the, the quads and, and the hamstring um, allowed movement. That allowed you to bend down. Um not so much the bagginess, but yeah. the, 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 the seam. It's very different to how a trouser's cut. Yes. You'll have a dart that goes over, over your shin, which you wouldn't have in a trouser. Now, that was to do with the cavalry element behind it. So when these princes had to be tacked up in their ceremonial finery, a lot of them, when they were attending these durbars, uh, British durbars, they had to be mounted on horse. Yes. So... A lot of long time on the horse, and obviously so it's like you're a chafing guard. Really, then is it really a chafing guard? Yeah, and you would find that they were quite high waisted. Mm. So when you were in the saddle and you're moving up and down, yes. very very comfortable, very comfortable. Yeah. So that functionality then went into hunting attire and um, you know um, officers attire, and um, it is largely associated with different cavalry regiments around around the world. So does uh, the jobber company? Is it? fully bespoke or do you do semi-bespoke as well what's the sort of range within oh, we do everything so you do. The, the, the only collection that's very very limited at the moment is a ready-to-wear collection where you can just pick and and and, and put on um the only reason why we've been a bit slow with that is because we wanted to give our clients that maharaja feeling so you know you will you know we'll come to you we'll take out you know our humidor will will cut the cigar for you. We'll have a whiskey. Then we start talking about the tailoring. So it's more about the experience. So yeah, made to measure and bespoke. That's a slick sales pitch, yeah. that is, isn't so, it? Start with that. Yeah, it, it, they're hooked already. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's about reviving the old way of doing things. Yes. You know? I remember I had to lengthen a stock on my side by side shotgun, and I remember going to the stocker, selecting the walnut. And we said, okay, this will match, da-da-da. He took my measurements and mounted the gun. So I shook his hand and I said, just let me know how much it will be. And he said, no. I said, you know, I'm, you know I was confused. He said, when it's done and you're happy with it, that's when you pay. And that taxidermists are the same. So it's that whole old way of doing things where honour was honour, handshake was a handshake, and that meant, hang on a second, this guy's going to pay. And it's almost giving that client a taste of how things should be done, the perfect way, excellence. Yes. And I think that's important. We, we, we lose it's that shame. It's not always reciprocal, though, but you know what? No, you're absolutely right. And that, that you know, loosely backs up the theme of these podcasts, coincidentally. And it is about that, that, that striving for perfection. And it's not about how much gain uh, in material or monetary form. It's about someone being committed to their to their art yeah of course their of course. skill yeah. you know no matter what they deliver that's that's then that's an amazing thing yeah and i think that's a lot of th uh, a, a thing that um you know a lot of people uh t t just don't have maybe maybe it's conscious maybe they're just not interested mm. but i think it's a wonderful thing when you find it of course and another important thing about the made to order of bespoke process 
is the client, tailor or myself relationship. So our main job is to tailor something correctly for the client, you know, how he would like it. And it's got to be fitted in the right areas, a little bit looser in certain areas. But, you know, you buy something from us and, you know, you put on a bit of weight or you lose weight, we'll be there and we'll, we'll, we hide fabric within the garment, we'll open it up, we'll take it that's in. Clever. And that's no, we don't charge for that. That's our yeah. service. So I find that is lacking when you go on a computer and you go, hang on a second, Google vest or tweed vest. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to order that. Likeness, it may not fit and you send it back. Where is that customer to, you know, tailor relationship? And I think that's lost when we're bulk buying or we're on the computer and we're just literally, you know, da -da -da -da, putting a few digits and it gets to your house tomorrow. You're losing that relationship where, you know, you have that bond with your tailor. He'll understand your fitting. He will know your body measurements. He will have yeah. them archived. He will assess. The, when I go and do a fitting, I assess posture, um, shoulder, shoulder slopes. Is it dipping? Does he have a pelvic tilt? Does he have a military yeah, chest? It's like a gun fit. Literally. Like a uh, gun fit. And really interesting. No two are the same. Exactly. And yeah. I think losing that now with things that are mass produced, you know, you can just click and buy. Mm. Yeah, I, that hurts me. And I don't want to see, okay, fine. Yeah, I know that's happening, but I don't want to see what we do no. being lost. lost. And I think Into that's quite small, important. small, medium, large, extra large. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> do you, do you uh, I'd assume then by what you've just said, that which probably answers the next question, you must have a high percentage of what I call regular repeat clients yes of course coming back to you season on season maybe coming in you know asking for something that's not necessarily related to shooting i'd like a jacket made for what's that do, do, do you find that have you got that absolutely I mean, I, yeah. I mean the way yeah. we operate most of it's word of mouth you yes know? um i'm a massive believer of if you go somewhere you should be dressed in your in your best yes. um my grandfather always i'll apologize for my appearance <laughs> no, no, that's okay so my my, my no, you're meant to say, no, you look really cool, Simon. No worries. You look really cool, Simon. Yeah. Just, you look just listen part. to this one on audio, okay? <laughs> so my fiancé's um, grandfather, maternal grandfather, dapper, dapper chap. Um, he was a massive inspiration of mine, actually. Um, and he always said, Viraj, you know when you go out and you're dressed to the T, you're not doing it for yourself. You're respecting the host's invite. You're respecting him by turning up at his house or, you know, the restaurant where he's invited you to and you're honouring him. If you don't dress well, you're almost saying, you know, this invite isn't that important. You're not that important of a man. Do you think you can overdress for an occasion as well? No, <laughs> never, <laughs> never, <laughs> never. Uh, you've got to be in your... I'm actually very, very casual and underdressed, actually. No, I'm I was not, meant yeah, to put no, on no. a jacket, uh, one of my one of my favourite jackets. I was meant to put them on, but we thought, ah, you know, we're having fun. Let's just start this. So this, this is me being very, very underdressed. But you can never say, be is, there, is there ever a day where you look scruffy? Is there ever a day where you just pull on that T-shirt and those ripped jeans and go, ah, I'm just going to slouch today? Very, I can't imagine it. Very rarely, very yeah. rarely. I remember going to drop off something to a customer and I was in my jobpers. I was actually wearing jobpers. And the customer's wife looked at me and went, Viraj, are you always in character? Like, you look like you should be in a, in a film set or something, you know? But people love it and they warm to it, which is nice. Yeah, it is nice. It's lovely. It's Have you ever done anything for TV? 
TV? P- period productions, you know, supplying sort of wardrobe, things like that. Well, I don't know if you had come across it. Uh, Beecham's House. Um, it was about this um, East India Company trader um, set up in India. Um, it was done by a very famous director, Garinda Chadha, uh, who did Bend It Like Beckham. Honestly, I've heard of it. Okay. I'm familiar, but I haven't seen it. So I had um, been invited by them um, to give them a turban masterclass on the correct period of turban, um, what fabric they used, the type of turban they used. As a, as a, as a Hindu, do you, do you wear turbans? I, I noticed in some of your photography, and it, it confused me, and it's purely my ignorance yet again, um, as I understand it, um, Sikhs w- wear a turban they wear a because turban. obviously they, they, yep. they grow their hair. Yep. I can't remember the, the term for that, but they grow their hair, wrap their hair up. But I noticed in a couple of pictures you have a, have um, the a, a form of a, yeah, a, turban. a turban. There seems to yeah. be slightly different ways in which it's, it's tied. or, or, yes, or but, yes, yes. But yes. I noticed obviously yeah. you, you, know, yeah. you cut your hair. So is that just a, dre- a, a, tr- a traditional dress or is there actually a, a religious link? Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, well, it's very, very spiritual to us. Um, what does it signify pre- f- uh, f- for you? For, see, the turban originally is a um, utility tool. Um, you know, I'll just describe it as you're going on a shoot, it's very hot, you're in the desert of, you know, Kutch or Rajasthan, and it's to absorb the heat going into your scalp, it's to take the moisture in and not let it penetrate your scalp, the sun's quite hot, and then you've pitched up, um, there's no water, you go to a well and you need to fetch the bucket, you tie a knot on the bucket, you put it down the well with or with your turban, so it turns into a tool now. How so long then you is pick up. Turban, so the, the Rajput ones or the safars that we generally wear are 12 metres long, so wow. not many people have a turban that metres. long. 12 metres? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So, so then you're in the field, you're hunting, and you've got water from a from a river or a well or something, and yes. you wanna you wanna clarify the water. You then put your turban over the cup. You pour the water in. It turns into a sieve. It can turn into a bandage knot. Brilliant. You can you know you've just shot a big um, nil guy, and you need to drag it. You tie a knot to the nil guy leg, and you drag it with your turban. Do you know so we're so utility. unrefined here? We have a we have a tobacco tin with a match in it, a condom, and a piece of chalk as a survival kit. So you really got it. So it was a utility. <laughs> so it was a utility tool. Yeah. But going back in terms of me wearing the turban, my grandmother always said to me, "There's three things that are very important for people that come from where we come from, and that is." The sword, never forget the prominence of the sword. Never forget the moustache. I never want you to be clean shaven or your moustache should never be shaven I've completely. I've noticed Sometimes you take, you've yeah. taken the beard I take the beard off, always but keep I never, the always keep the moustache. Yes. And we only shave our moustache off when our father passes away as a mark of mourning respect. Other than that, a Rashford man should and will have a turban, uh, a, a, a moustache. And then it, and then through mourning, it would naturally, you'd allow it just to you grow You'd allow back. it to grow, yes. yes. So yes. she said, the sword, never forget the province of the sword and, and the history of the sword. Always, you must have a moustache and never forget the significance of a turban. So those three important things. And going back into time, sort of 1900s, all Rajput men would wear a turban. You go into a function, you would wear the the turban, and it's only now, obviously, you know, we're we're here. We've got short hair. Yes. Um, we don't keep long hair 
like the Sikhs to, so we wouldn't need to keep it intact. But if we go to, say, uh, uh, the temple, or there's a religious function, uh, those the, the turbans are worn. It's mandatory. Yeah. And when the British were recruiting from these martial races, the Sikhs, the Rajputs, the turban was so important. They say, do, did, do not take the turban away. It yeah. turns them into kings on the battlefield. Yeah. You know, they opted not to take the hard helmet. Said, no, we want to die in our turbans. Yes. And it gave them that extra elan in the battlefield and that extra strength. So the British actually promoted the turban, both for, for the Sikhs and the Russians. But ended up wearing the pith. The pith, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, obviously there's only so much a turban can do to, you know, 303 <laughs> round. <laughs> so yeah. obviously we had to adapt, <laughs> yeah, you know. Sure. But yeah, so sometimes I do I do wear the turban yes. and it's going back to those old pictures that I look at. You know, you go to Wesley Richards. You go to Wesley Richards in Birmingham and you would see the wall adorned with Indian shikar hunting pictures. And yes. they all be in their turban. So it's about recreating that look and that bit of history. And I, I remember speaking to someone, a um, good friend of mine actually, um, um, I mentioned no names, but because obviously the shooting world's quite oh, small. Cool. Yeah, no, but, absolutely. Um, he's a PH and um, it's up in Africa. Yes. And he had someone shoot, a, you know, a fairly big sized um, animal. Yes. And he wanted to take a picture and stuff and he was looking a little bit scruffy. And um, he said, at least take my hat, honour the p thing that you've just killed. Yes. You know, yes. put something on your head, honour it. You know, absolutely. so I think that's quite important. So when you're dressed up. So... You've you've clearly got a defined style with the Jobber Company, which we discussed is that beautiful crossover of traditional or tradition to you and, and westernised flavours and, and then the sort of concoction of materials that are, you know, more akin to cold, wet weather and so on and so forth. How do you how do you take that forward? Is it by further tweaking the design? Or is your pursuit of excellence, in effect, a continuity, a continuation of, of, of high, you know, keeping that bar, managing the quality? Where does the job per company go in the next three, four, five years? No, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, I do feel um, that it's important to keep up with the modernisation of fashion and the way things are going. So the ready-to-wear collection we are working on, but the only reason why it's taken so long is because that excellence needs to filter in into the ready wear, ready to wear garments. Where if you did want it tailored or taken out, we've got enough fabric and, and hidden things within the garment, which you can then, it wouldn't be made to measure or bespoke because it wouldn't be, but you can adjust it and tweak it with our um, in-house uh, alteration specialist so it's so, making uh, so it's making stuff more accessible because it, I, exactly. I you know I, i'm not in the rag trade and i won't pretend to understand it but I, I obviously would be well aware of the fact that it would be you know starting with with you know such an incredible high quality um you know throughout yes. usps and the overall finished garment to then create something sort of a bit more sort of you know fast and furious could could you, one would easily think that that could devalue no, of course. You know what you what you've created in the in the first place. So I guess there's a you know a sort of a yes. It all relates to the consumer. Some people want stuff that's fast and they want it tomorrow, or or they want want it there and then. Um, some people like the process. They like waiting, and they like having pictures through each stage of the garment, where it's an actual piece of fabric, and then they have the cutout for their 
particular body size and they see the manufacturing process. Some people love that. But in terms of where does the job per company go in terms of its design and, and aesthetics, I will always stay true to the heritage that will yeah. never ever change yeah. we may we, you know you might wear a, wear a safari jacket of us of ours with a pair of shorts and a, a pair of trainers that's where it would change but in terms of the actual look we will stay true to what we are quite proud of and um, we should that, be very proud of exactly so yeah. that heritage will, will, will always stay um, the focal point of what what we do um do you feel though just uh, just stepping back so i'm just thinking about and i get the you you, you call it the did you say the red, ready to wear ready to wear but does that does that become you becoming more just business focusing in going oh you got those people out there that want it quick they just want it done let's feed them is there a fear that that could pull away from what you really are which is a beautiful traditional hand-tailored garment that actually within reason doesn't have a timed process rather like the gun stock when it's finished mm. you pay now i know someone's going to say hey the season starts in three months so yeah. you know th th that's a no-brainer but but do, do you feel that the ready to wear could be perceived as something that pulls away from the the standards that that exist with the fully tailored clothing um to answer, I your... mean, obviously not because you're doing it, but I just—it's just an interesting, you know, it's like having a restaurant and then almost uh, sort of a slight sort of top-end fast food next to so, it. That's... So the ready-to-wear stuff would be carefully curated, and we're not talking fifty, hundred um, uh, blazers or Nehru shooting gilets ready to go. We're talking maybe ten or twenty when you come into our gallery, you have a look and you like it. You don't really want to sit down for an hour because you've got to head back onto the M25, but you want a slice. You want a slice of a dropper company to take it away. So what you're actually doing is just removing, in, in layman's terms, the, the, the first third, say, or half of the full tailoring process. Would that be correct? Exactly. Rather being measured up and bits of paper and stuff, you're going, well, there's your starter. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, exactly. adjust it to fit. But I can't, I can't always... I've got to look at various people. I've got to look at various clients and what their taste um, usually goes goes down, what, what route it goes down. And, and um, see, if I think like me, and it's everything that I would do to, to satisfy Viraj... Then everyone would walk walk around in pith hats and canes. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's my ideal world. But hopefully, the, hopefully with some clothes on. As yes, well. of course. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Good, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's how I see the ideal yes. world. You know, handlebar moustache, pith hats and canes with maybe a concealed dagger. Yes. But I've got to cater towards other people. You know, I talk to family, friends, and sometimes they have to calm me down. This is this is okay. You might like this. But Joe Bloggs might not like this. Yeah. You know, you've got to do, you've got to get the balance right. It can't be, you know, hardcore, you know, swords and taxidermy all the time. You've got, mm. we don't understand it. Yeah. You know, we don't understand <laughs> yeah. why you would shoot something and stuff it and put it on the wall. You come into our gallery in Hatfield, it's taxidermy everywhere. You know, yeah. I like it, but you've got to be a little bit cautious. So obviously having the gallery in Hatfield now, it's a, it's a small space, but we're in the, we've, we're in lo where we're located yes. is within the stable yard. Yes, and you have various people coming in, and you've got to appreciate their morals or their scruples and what they believe in. Well, Some imagine, might be vegetarian, you know. I could imagine your 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 items, garments, pieces, uh, just specifically the clothing, 
would equally look really cool in a in a sort of a almost a contemporary uh, setting as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like both. I think they're great, and I and I love the, the you know, the, we we're into taxidermy and you know yeah. antiques and bits and pieces. Yeah. Love that look. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I do, you know, I can I can sort of see even jeans, the neighbourhood, oh, and something, you know, all the yeah. jobbers and tra- maybe even trainers. I mean, it's it's really cool. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, with the with the Nehru gilet, a lot of people wear it as a overgarment with jumpers, ties. They, you know, you could wear it with a polo t shirt jeans it's so universal mm. um i think that's, that's something that i'm really really proud about where we're getting that heritage and we're making it quite contemporary and uh, yeah you'll, you'll you'll see them a lot now you go into london kensington and you'll see a lot of these folks wearing the the gilet um Nehru gilet mm. um where i come into it is you know we've done had this collar for a long time in our family i think it's exciting times because um uh, I see a sort of a, I used the term earlier, a new wave of shooters evolving. Um, and this can be meat eaters, it could be vegetarians, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, religion, food, it's irrelevant. But there's sort of, you know, meeting of minds, clay shooting, um, so something you can d- d- sort of drop into, drop out, you're not committing to a big day in the field. I'm seeing people now getting more into their clothes, um, you know, buying the cars. It's, it's like this sort of life. I know it's, I hate the term lifestyle, but we've seen it in the schools. People are really taking a pride in their appearance and and uh, you know and they're, and they're, and they're sort of investing in it. Mm. And I think that's quite exciting because yep. then it, for you specifically, it takes tweed, which is largely known as uh, something that be, would be worn in the field for you know, in effect, four months a year. Mm. But now we're seeing people... Oh, we've got some guys and girls that come in here, um, obviously not in summer, but but out of season. Yes. And they wear their plus fours. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. It's I, great. I find it fantastic. Uh, and, and that's what it... And we've got vegetarians that shoot here. Yeah, of course. Because the clays, uh, you know, they're, they're just clays. Yeah, absolutely. So they can enjoy the sport. Of course. Um, they can enjoy meeting like-minded people. Yes, they can have a... A courgette fritter or something, and a you yeah. know whatever. It's it's. it's yeah. I think it's lovely, well, and I think that's really refreshing. Yes, and I, I think it's so important not to judge things on the surface. Mm. Um, I think dialogue is very important in in terms of talking, understanding something. So understanding why maybe Viraj does the job for breaches, and and why he's so passionate about reviving it. And also the vegetarian, why they don't eat meat or why you shoot and why you're in the gun trade. I think dialogue is very important. Well, because dialogue, is, dialogue is essential, but mm. I, I think it's, it's, you just said understand. I think that's the key. Yeah. I think it's, it's so easy, isn't it, to think your way's the right way. I'm not going to mean you personally, I mean generally. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to do that, you want to do this. Yeah. But we are also very different. And that surely is the, we're going on to a totally different subject here. Yes. It's that sort of militant view. Yes. You know, that's my way or, or the highway. Yeah. And if only people could just accept. Of course. Understand. Not necessarily agree. Yep. You know, I, 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 um, I understand that lots of people don't like the killing of animals. Mm-hmm. I don't like the killing of animals. Mm-hmm. I will shoot a pheasant. I see some hideous stuff on the in, uh, social media, internet, whatever, you know, of, say, how dogs might be treated in China or places like that. Yeah, of course. Um, 
I find it utterly repulsive. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I wouldn't, you know, and, the, and there are people I know who eat meat. Yes that don't uh, agree with game shooting. Yeah. You know, it's a weird, weird, weird sort of mix there because they'll eat meat and so on. So there's all the, but but it's it's not to judge, it's to understand, well, I don't like yeah. guns or yeah. I don't like this. That's fine. Of course. But I think the thing is to, and maybe I'm <laughs> stating the obvious and, and, and also, you know, talking about something that's never going to happen, it's about just accepting alternative views, isn't it? As long as they don't come into yours and yeah. you don't go into theirs. But somewhere down the line... The person who you know believes in something almost has this element of being correct in a certain way in terms of what they believe. Of course. So you can understand it. But so you should we... let followers come to you. Yes. Not go around shoving it down others. Exactly. Saying, I'm a massive yeah, believer of that. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. But you've got to understand. Now I know we're digressing, but no, you know, no. I, I, you know, I'm quite keen on field sports and uh, and I promote it and I've brought many people to field sports. And you're sports. a Hindu. Yeah, exactly. So it should be a vegetarian. Well, yeah. Maybe. 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 Um, well, not, well, not but, no, but it doesn't matter. From. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it brings me on to, I know we're digressing from the tailoring, but I find this... Digress very, from the tailoring. <laughs> I find this very, very interesting. Um, so I used to, when I used to go on a shoot or, you know, stalked a deer and I've managed to colour deer, harvest a deer... I'd put it onto the Instagram as a story. Ah, I wouldn't okay. put it up as a picture. Yes. Because, you know, people might be offended. You yes. know, it's a story. It might stay on there for 24 hours. It will go. And the folks that are interested in it will appreciate it. And the others and won't see it. My reason for doing that is you've got a tailor or a tailoring brand. Um, the chap who owns the brand has woken up at 4 a.m. to sit in a high seat for a deer that he may not even get. It's to colour species, it's to help a farmer. If that chap has put that much dedication in waking up in the morning and maybe harvesting some venison to give to charity, family members, or introduce people to wild game, mm. imagine the detail he will put into your gilet or well, yeah. your blazer. And, no, you, and absolutely. We, we are not we are not a um, a high street, Oxford Street um, shop. Mm. We want to tell people, no, we live and breathe this. It's important to us. And where, you know, you may not get other people who tailor clothes that go out there. They are there, but they're, uh, you know, they're, they're needle in a haystack or yes. a, a, a handful. Yes. So it's to show people, you know, we, we live and breathe this. This is part of our heritage. This is something that we're, we're, we're interested in. Um, animal conservation is something that we're interested in. Yes. And so going back to my point, would have many vegetarians, many Hindus in the DMs, you know, <laughs> and some of them being pretty vile and using language that's atrocious. Yes. Now, at first, I used to get, you know, your, your, your blood boils. But obviously, you've got to be a gentleman about things and you've got to Absolutely. dialogue. So that's why I say dialogue is very important. Now, I've spoken about why I've done it, the reason behind it, and why I think it's important. We've almost become friends they almost understand why we do it. That's, do you know what? That's that's fabulous. What a that's a lovely yeah. story. And there was a there was a story. I was that. I mean, that's. I'm, I'm so glad you've come out with that. You know that yeah. that sort of yeah. final point on so, that one. I mean, because it, it, it is about perception, isn't it? And I think where you've ah, I want to be careful because everyone to their own. But no, yeah. some things I don't agree with. You know, when you've got these people in 
you know, certain clothing, holding the beast, and it's all a bit, you know. Mm. I, that, for me, I think it does give off the wrong impression. If you have someone who, you know, I mean, let's face it, if you don't manage deer, yep. yeah, they're going to turn into a hell of a mess. Yes. And that'll be a hideous thing. So they do need managing. We're not God, but they do need managing. Yes. They need culling. Yeah. All right. And it's done for a reason. Of course. Small reason is crop protection. Large reason is food source. Absolutely. Main reason is protecting the herd so it can flourish. Yeah, of course. I think if that's put across, you know, properly, like I say, perception and how it's shown and, and the reason behind it. And like you said, the amount of, you don't just grab a, a 243 or a 308 and go out and start whacking deer. There's a yeah. huge amount of training. Of course. And of course, now huge, there's the DSC huge. 1 and 2 and all those absolutely. other absolutely relevant and important things you need to get under your belt prior. Um, but I guess the downside with these otherwise called sensitive topics, yes. there will always be that harsh, you know, militant sort of. I mean, I, 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 I find it amazing that, um, you know, Sabs wear balaclavas, mm. right? Yeah. Because if it's valid and everyone's uh, uh, allowed their own opinion, of course they are, yeah, yeah? and their own beliefs. Yeah. Why would you? Why would you hide that? Yeah, of course. You know, Absolutely. just as an interesting point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's no no different to a bank robber, you know, dressed up in, well, it's, in his. You might assume someone's hiding something. Exactly. Where if there are a group of people, they're going, "This yeah. is us. This yeah. is our belief." Yeah. But there's know. no logical debate. That's what I'm trying to say. No. I think dialogue it's is very shame. important to yeah. understand one another. You are you know, right. You know, I shot a red stag up in Scotland a few years back. And there's a ritual that we do as Hindus. First kill, we anoint our weapon. Just so we know it's sacred. It's firing straight. So we get a drop of blood and we anoint it on the barrels or we'll put it on the sword. And back in the day, if we didn't, Go out if we went to the field and we took our uh, sword out of its scabbard mm. and we didn't kill anything or we didn't, you know, get any game, we would take um, the auspicious finger, have a little slit, and just drop a bit of blood onto the blade. Is that right? Yeah, so for us, it's a very sacred thing. So I put um, a, a story um, on Instagram with the, uh, went into the deer carcass, drop of blood, put it on the barrel as a new Mauser. So I've been told through my grandfathers and his grandfathers, when you get a new weapon, you anoint it with blood, the first kill, yes. and you're respecting that weapon. Yes. So I did that. So there was a few people on Instagram um, DM'd, oh, you think you're very macho, you're twirling your moustache and you've dropped blood on the thing. Who the hell do you think you are? Da, 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 da. So then obviously dialogue, debate, told them why we do it, why it's important to people um, who have done it before me yes. and what they believe in. And it's just about carrying on that ritual. And then it's about, I spoke to them about the deer on the glen. And I said, if you don't cull them, they'll wither away and you'll see skeletons. Yes. I said, do you want to see skeletons? Should I show you what happens when they don't yes. get culled? Yes. You know, and then you've got deer um, who are carrying diseases, which will then give it into the next generation. That's it. And then to carry a healthy herd, there is no such thing as a healthy herd. And what people don't understand from um, sort of Eastern um, countries and, and, mm. and areas, mm. we, we have no natural predators. No. So we can't leave nature to do... Yeah, no bears yeah, out there. Exactly. The There's no tigers so. or yeah. lions, yeah. you yeah. know, and uh, wolves. So we have to almost manage it. And we in we we enjoy the deer. I loved him. Favorite one of my favorite animals. 
because we love it so much, that yeah. is why we're involved in the welfare of the various species that we find here. I think that is so important. And then obviously, when we, you know, stalking up in Norfolk, Suffolk, mm. Mm. Um, we are on sugar beet, um, various other crops, and we, we're, we're literally protecting you know, vegetarian food yeah. sources. No, 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 so that's don't get right. Hammered. No, th this is the thing. It, so, it crosses over. It's crop protection. It's land management. It's habitat protection. It's all these wonderful things that, in effect, come under the term conservation. Exactly. Um, I think it's... I think y you've got a wonderful take, and I think a take that anybody who listens to this podcast or watches it on, on, on YouTube... Um, who's like-minded is, 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 well, is obviously going to agree, but I hope that there's people that will listen or watch this that are not necessarily into field sports and you will be the, you know, the, the, the sort of starting point for, for hopefully to, for, for some to have an understanding of, of course. you know, the, the, the detail, which yeah. is often missed. You only see the, you know, the sort of blood, the guts, and yeah. then you assume and, and therefore there the problem starts. Yeah. Um, I... I've enjoyed this thoroughly. Um, you will have to come back and do to. a part B. I would love to. C, <laughs> D, yeah, and onwards. Um, I think that is a beautiful note to finish on. And I think it gives some, it, it, well, again, listeners, something to think about. Of course. Um, because it's a beautiful take. Yes. Um, and I think one that actually, you know, if people accepted, would actually <laughs> make it a, a, a nicer place and... Uh, you know, a karma, um, a, a karma place, you yes. know. Um, I think we so completely I, agree with our thoughts and uh, no, hats off to you for taking this initiative to do this because without dialogue, we can't voice our opinions nor can we understand opinions and for people to flourish mentally and what they, what they pursue as careers, we yeah. need dialogue. We need people yeah. like you bringing this out to the masses where we wouldn't usually speak so openly so thank you for having me here so do you know what pleasure. it's been a real pleasure Viraj Singh of the Jobpa Company thank you very much indeed thank you so much and I look forward to seeing you again soon absolute pleasure sir thank, thank you, so you. Much. thank you thank you Thanks.